Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. Ready to receive the word of God here? You're ready to receive what God has for you. Um, the Lord spoke this to me the Tuesday of going into We're One Conference, and I didn't think I was going to share it. I couldn't decide, and I felt like this was finally the time to share it. I had only I'd sat on it for a couple days, and I had only texted it to um, I want to say Pastor Tyler and my family at the time, Pastor Luke, Pastor Steve, and all of them. And I was texting someone that had texted me about praying for the conference and all that. And I started texting them. And this is probably one of the most like profoundly like spiritual moments I ever had. It's like, you ever had a moment where you're like, man, that was God. I know it was God. That felt like I could just feel it. And I started prophetically speaking into what I knew was going to happen at We Are One Conference. And we hadn't been there yet. Prophetic means we hadn't been there yet, but God began to reveal to me what was going to happen. And so through this text message, I, I typed the whole text out, I copied, I, I cut it, I put it in a note, and I never sent it. It was the weirdest thing, because I'm the type of personality, I tell everyone about everything. I'll tell you, if you end up in the same, if you end up in certain circles, you'll hear me tell the same story like five times, because when I get excited about something, I tell everybody everything. And it was so weird, this was so intimately God that what he had given me, I was like scared to release it too prematurely. And that's when you know it's God. When you sit on it, you're patient on it. And that's the issue. I'm going off track for one sec, but this popped my mind and my heart. When people get in relationships, the reason I can't tell it's God because they're too impatient. And you know it's God when you are patient and you take your time and you hear from the Lord and you hear, hear his voice and his word and his leadership. And then you go, okay, now I can full send this thing. Let's go. Will you be my wife? And then you get married. But people get too caught up in the process going too quickly. And I like heard from God. I knew it was God. And I know it was God because I was so slow. So it's been, what, over two weeks at this point. That's a long time for me to hold something. And let me just tell you that, two weeks. And I didn't know, but I felt like the Lord said to kind of set the pace of the night. I should share this with you, this text message. I have not altered this, so there could be typos or anything. This is what I wrote. This is what the Spirit said, and this is what I released. Oh. This is very... Um, What's the word um, special to me? There'd be certain words that I read that I would just begin to weep as I wrote them because I could, I could see what was happening at conference and I felt like the Lord told me today is the reason I needed to share it with you is because this was the start of what was, would happen at conference, but this is what we'd continue to see in our ministry. And um, I would write certain words and literally I'd just start weeping or I'd start like speaking in tongues or I'd start yelling. I was the only one in my house. Um, that's why I could do it or else it would have been weird, you know, like. I wanna see young people moved by the Holy Spirit so bad. We've worked so hard to bring forth excellence and our first fruits of worship, but now I just want to see the Holy Spirit take over. I want every single young person, leader, and pastor to walk away from conference saying, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it. I see people showing up, those in person and online, being marked by a move of the Holy Spirit that is undeniable to even our feeble human thinking. If you were there last week or previously, you heard about the baby that was healed in the midst of a Zoom breakout session. 
I see young people being called to the ministry and pastors that are on the brink of quitting, receiving a fresh fire to never give up. I see youth and young adult ministries thriving after this week, and I've received so many testimonies of that. I see more people being saved, more disciples being made, more baptisms happening, more outreach being done. I see the church on fire. I see sexuality being restored without it needing to be a sermon topic. The holiness of God will be enough to change a heart. I see broken families being mended back together because a young person gripped the altar and was changed this weekend. That change will be brought into their home and begin to serve and love and pray for their family. I see our team operating in a new anointing. I see the Holy Spirit moving through us on a whole nother level. When you write it that way, that's how you know it's the Holy Spirit moving a whole nother level. We have to step humbly and speak humbly because we have because we will be watched in new ways by the people around us after this weekend. We will have to frequently double check that what we say and do is Jesus because others will run with what they gather from us. I see broken hearts and minds and bodies being healed simply as we worship and lift up the name of Jesus. We saw this in that, in that baby in Pakistan. We didn't pray for that baby to get healed. That baby just got healed in the midst of what Jesus was doing. I see the increase upon us. Isaiah, Isaiah 54, 2. Increase is coming. So enlarge your tent and add extensions to your dwelling. Hold nothing back. Make the tent pegs longer and the pegs stronger. June 2nd, 2021. We are almost nearing now the halfway point of this year. And so what I felt like the Holy Spirit said to do is that we need to take a spiritual pulse of where we are with him right now. We have to go back to what he said at the beginning of this year. We have to come back to his word. And he prophetically spoke the beginning of this year, and I'm going to come back to it. We just read the scripture. Increase is coming. And we have to take our pulse. I can feel it. There it is. But you have to ask tonight, am I spiritually beating with the Holy Spirit? Am I in time with the Holy Spirit? Are my convictions lined up with the Holy Spirit? Is what God spoke to me almost six months ago, am I living that out now? Was I all on the hype of, oh, the increase is coming? Am I, am I still believing the increase is coming? Or was it a hype night that I enjoyed the beginning of the year? And if you didn't hear that message, you should go on our YouTube channel and watch it so you can get that in your spirit. But am I still stepping in time with it? The Lord said we have to take our pulse tonight because if you would check yourself and see whether or not you're lined up with it, what if we could all check it tonight and say, some of us say I'm not or I am, but by the end of the night, what if we could all be beating and step in time with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in 2021, the year of our Lord? Man, I don't want to throw just birthday parties to celebrate. We've just, we've been around for 10 years. I want to throw parties to celebrate for the, that for the last 10 years. What we've been a part of could have only been a move of the Holy Spirit and something that what Jesus was doing. And can I, can I just tell you, I don't want to throw birthday parties about what he's done. I want to thank him for what he's done. And I want to celebrate ahead of time for what I know he's going to do. Because if he's done it for the last 10 years, come on, somebody. What can he do for the next 10 years if this is what he's done for the last 10 years? 
This is the future. So Holy Spirit, check your pulse. I want you to physically check your pulse as we pray. Check your pulse, wherever it is. As we physically can check our pulse right now, I pray that spiritually you would search our hearts and see if there's any offensive way in us. Holy Spirit, would you check to see if there's anything in us that is not in alignment with who you are, that is not in time with what you're doing. God, I do not want to be ahead of you, and I do not want to be behind you. I just want to be in step with who you are and what you're doing. So God, we believe that the increase is coming. We believe that you are doing something great, and you will do something greater. You've always been faithful. So we come into this place with thankful hearts, ready to hear from you, receive from you, and be the people that you've called us to. I pray that you would bless every person that hears your word tonight, because we know that it will not come from my mouth and return void, because it's not my words, it's your word. Lord, I pray that you would take your word as it's preached tonight, and you would put it in the mouth of people that they would release it on everybody that, and when they leave this place, everybody they come in contact with, you'd put your word in their mouth, and as it leaves their lips, Lord, you'd, you'd even spiritually, as, as the prophet Isaiah said, you touch a coal to, to his lips, would you just cleanse our, our, our lips, Lord? Give us clean hands, pure hearts, a clear conscience, clean mouths. Lord, let us reflect who you are, that we might see many people come to know Jesus as we exemplify who he is. The world is looking to see you. God, I pray that when they see us, they would see you. The increase is coming. Ready our hands, our hearts, and even our heads to receive that increase. I pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody says tonight, amen. Do you receive the increase and what he's going to do? Amen. Amen. Well, hey, we ready to hear the word of God? We ready? You know, uh, there's this prayer. We talk about this idea of the increase. There's this prayer that I've continually prayed. I'm pretty sure I see people like, are you checking your pulse? I, I can look at it and I see people like checking their pulse like, am I dead right now? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to call you uh, Since my son Zeeland was born, there's this prayer that I've continually prayed over both of my sons. And I don't even know why I started praying it. I think it was just it's, the scripture popped in my heart and I started praying it. And I'd always pray that they would grow in wisdom and stature. This was something that Luke, Luke was a doctor, so he's very precise when he wrote the Bible. In Luke 2.57, talking about Jesus, the, the scripture said, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. I continually pray this prayer maybe almost every night, probably at least once a week over my sons. And I say, Lord, would you let them grow in wisdom and stature? Now, I feel like with Zealand, I need to pray wisdom and stature, and Zion, I just need to pray wisdom, because Zion right now is wearing seventh-month-old clothes. The clothes that Zealand wore when he was seven months, Zion is like two and a half months, and he's wearing those clothes. So I think I'm just going to pray, Lord, let them grow in wisdom, and I'll stop at the stature part. I don't need them to get any bigger. He's like breaking Sid's back, carrying around. He's like a, he's a hefty boy. He's a big boy, okay? Um, but I want, I want to see them grow in wisdom, stature. I don't want them to remain this size their, their whole life. That'd be a bummer. Like, I'd like them to get bigger. And in favor. 
When, when you have favor on your life, that means that there's things that happen in your life that they shouldn't happen, but God allows them to happen because he's given you the favor for them to happen. It's not because you're talented or gifted. It's not because you've done anything just some certain right way. It just means there's favor on your life, so God opens doors for your life that only he could open. It's not about what you're doing. It's about what he's doing. And when you surrender to the favor of God, you're saying, God, I'm not going to do things my way. I'm going to do things your way. So whatever you want to do, do it. And then when the favor of God gets a hold of something, you'll begin to see an increase happen in ways that it could never happen. I love this scripture. It says, and Jesus, and it's the last of chapter two, it's the last verse they end with in chapter two. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and men. This word increased is a word that it came from blacksmith shops. And what, they would, what they're referring to with this is that they would, they would heat the metal till it got so hot that when they hit it with a hammer, when they pounded it, they could increase the metal to a point that they could actually shift the shape. So it was one shape, but as they heated it, it increased to a point that they could shift it. And I think a lot of times we hear this, this idea, man, the increase is coming. God's, God's going to do something in my life. God's going to have favor in my life. God's going to... Are you willing, though, to go through the fire? Are you willing to get heated? Are you willing to get pounded? Are you willing to get shaped to receive the increase? A lot of times you go, oh, man, God, give me that increase. Come on, give me, give me, give me, give me more. You know, so you label the increase as some honey or hunky that you want. You'd label the increase as some athletic ability maybe. You'd label the increase of whatever skill set it'd be, whatever it is. Label the increase of, ooh, wisdom, I like that. Give me some, you make me smart. Let me ace these tests. You know, like, let me help me with my finals. Help me, Lord, right? But see, if you're truly gonna be increased, you're gonna have to go through some sort of heat, some sort of pressure, some sort of refining process. So in the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. There's all these different translations. The, the main ones that I probably preach from would be in a NIV, New International Version. In the NASB, I read that like on my own, just kind of study and see it in a different perspective. They say that the NASB is the most accurate translation, translation of the Bible. And I'm sure one day that'll change because they'll find one that they say is more accurate or whatever. But the, in the NASB, it doesn't say that Jesus increased. It says that Jesus kept increasing. And the reason I find this interesting is the question that we have to pose ourselves to ourselves today is in January, especially if you were here and you heard the word that I preached, I preached a prophetic word that God gave us, the increase is coming. And the issue with a word like that a lot of times is we go, cool. And we put all the responsibility on God. The increase is coming, so let me wait for it. When, when God speaks a word to us, if you don't lean into it and do something with it, you're going to be waiting a long time because he ain't going to do anything with it for you. So here is the question I have for you. In 2021, since that word was preached or since maybe you've known Jesus in this short time, some of you, whatever it is, have you increased in any way? Because we can keep saying that the increase is coming, but if there's not a point in which you can go, wow, I've increased. I, I don't listen to that stuff anymore that I used to. 
I'm not hanging out with those same people like I used to. Like, wow, my, my walk with Jesus looks better. You know, this is actually true. I've found, I've known people in this ministry throughout the last, you know, 10 years that I've been able to lead it, that as they got deeper in sin, they physically got uglier. I didn't even plan. Like, I remember this young girl. She was just just beautiful girl, and she started going way off track without telling the story because anybody put pieces together, going way off track. And I was like, one day I looked at her. I was like, what happened? To, you ugly. That's like the truth. I looked at her. I go, you ugly right now. Why? Because just as you can increase, you realize you can decrease as well. And I've seen people as they've gone off in their relationship with God, I'm telling you, even physically, I ain't playing. I've seen it with multiple. They get uglier. Now, I'm not saying like, hey, be a Christian. You'll be like the most beautiful person on planet Earth. That's what I'm saying. But there is something about when you can walk into every situation of your life, clean hands, pure heart, clear conscience. You know how many different times I had sinned, and then when I was walking through my house, I was trying to do it as quiet as I could so my parents didn't ask me where I was and what I was doing. Or you're trying to come up with like, if someone asks me, what's the couple responses that I could give to try to like, you ever done that before? Like, oh, I was, uh, I was, I was at church, mom. I've found that if you can't answer this question saying, in some way I've increased, if you are at a plateau in your life with Jesus, plateaus, although they look flat, I'm going to tell you, there is going to be a slight decline, and you will decrease if you have not yet increased. But I love the NASB. It says that Jesus kept increasing. So my question to you is this. Not just have you increased, are you increasing? In what ways, with your walk with God, are you increasing? Are you increasing maybe in your prayer life? Maybe you started, you didn't pray at all, and maybe now you're like, man, I'm up to 15 minutes. That's awesome. Maybe now the next step is you go 20 minutes. Next step is you, you pray for an hour, and you don't even think about it. You're praying for an hour. And then I'll tell you, there'll be a season in your life where you'll realize that, wow, that, I can't keep up with that as much, and then you got to recalibrate, and your whole life is going to be recalibration with God all the time. But are you, are you asking yourself this question? Or are you just going, hey, the increase is coming. Bring it, God. I'm ready. Let's get it. Are you waiting on God to do something, but you're not willing to do anything yourself? Are you asking God for an increase, but you're not willing to in any way have increased yourself? You know, I don't want to live a life that is just um, safe and just like, well, I'm just... The next sermon, whatever it is, that's my word. No, like, I need to hear from God for myself. I need to pray and talk to God to myself. Listen, if the only time you're ever feeling the presence of God is when you come on Wednesdays, that is a sure, tall tale sign you are not increasing by any means. I'll tell you that. But you don't, you don't understand, Pastor Dave, the, the home life that I have and all this stuff. No, I realize some of those things. But if there is not a scenario in which you can put in some earbuds, silence the world around you, or whatever, however you had to do it, if you want to come talk to me and we want to talk about practical ways you can do it, I'll give you some that I've given people. I talked to one girl. She had a room with three other girls, four girls. She's like, I don't know how to do my Devo time. I got three other chicks in my room I live with. And we talked like practical scenarios, creating like a space, like hanging some sheets in your room, whatever. Like, hey, when I go in here, I'm with Jesus. Don't come in here. Don't be loud. Don't be talking to me. Put in some AirPods, especially, hey, you get the new ones. Now, if you're an Android person, I'm sorry. This won't work for you. You're bad, not mine. But you hit that button where it silences them and it reverses those microphones. Oh, man. 
Can I tell you, I use those more than to spend time with Jesus. I use those to spend time with myself. Because when I got zeal and run around the house, no, mine. See, he sat outside. He sat outside today on on the, uh, what's it called, the deck. And he sat there for five minutes singing. So my, my, my mom is Mori. And so that's like Irish for grandma. He sat there going, Mommy, Mommy, for five minutes straight. You talk about needing those headphones. Listen, you might be an Android person after what I just told you. Before you having kids, you're about to switch to Apple after what I just said. You silence those things, and you spend some time with not your kids. That's what it is. Are you increasing? You know, like when I preached this message, it was prophetic in nature. Are you putting all the responsibility on God? Are you saying, God, I'm taking some responsibility to have increased, to be increasing myself? You know, we just read this verse here in in Luke chapter 2. What Luke is writing about is this instance where Jesus is 12 years old, and there was like this festival his parents brought him to to Jerusalem, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and they do all this stuff, and they take off, and they go back home. Now, I don't realize why it took them so long, but after three days, they realize, crap, where's Jesus right now? They left him in Jerusalem, and they left for three days on this journey. And Jesus was like, partay. You ever have that finally when your parents aren't around? You're like, oh, let's go. Some of y'all, y'all looking at me like y'all Christians out there. Yeah, right, I know what y'all do when your parents aren't around. Jesus is like, hey, they're gone. They're gone. So here's, here's the difference between Jesus' response and ours. <laughs> Jesus went to the temple. Jesus had three days to himself. He could have run wild and done anything cool. He goes to the temple. He's hanging out there in Jerusalem at the temple, and finally, his parents show up, and they're like, Jesus, why'd you do this to us? Where you been? He goes, Mama and Dad, didn't you realize I had to be about my father's business? That's his response. Like, I know you all fretting, but listen, I have business to take care of. Like, I'm about my father's business right now. You know what I'm saying? So he's there, and he's telling all these people, answering hard questions, telling them about the truths of what the Bible says. And the Bible says that everyone that he spoke to, they were amazed. Quote, it says, they were amazed at how he responded. If I could encourage you today, how many 12-year-olds are in the room? I was just wondering, is anybody 12? Okay, I see, I see some of your hands. Now, this ain't just for the 12-year-olds, but anyone that's young, but let me speak to the 12-year-olds. Don't wait till you get older to be used of God. If I could remind you right now, if Jesus could do it at 12, at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, if you're even 22, I, listen, I'm going to put myself in the category. If you're even 33, I ain't old yet, so don't tell me that. I, you said it to me one time, bro. I'm going to come, yeah, I'm going to school you in basketball after this now. He goes, bro, because you old. Listen, you about to see how old I am when I get on the court with you, Sonny, okay? So don't, don't wait. I'm just playing. I love you. Don't wait until you get old to be used by God. You have been marked by the blood of Jesus. You have been filled with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus can do it at 12, come on. You should be about your father's business is what you should be doing. Be used. Man, I, I love when I see a young person, they're just like, can I do this? Can I go, can God use me? Go do it. Don't be waiting for an invitation. Don't be waiting for me to say, hey, you should go pray with people. Hey, you should go tell somebody about Jesus. Hey, you should invite somebody. Hey, you should serve. Listen, you've already been called and commissioned by God. You've already been marked by God. At the point that you receive Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. That is the only license that you need from anybody. You don't need me to tell you. 
You don't need a leader to tell you. You don't need your parents to tell you whether or not you can be used. The minute you say yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within this house, you are already equipped with everything you need to do everything that God has called you and commissioned you for. So from this moment on, Jesus goes from 12 years old. Remember, he increased. He kept increasing in wisdom, stature, favor. It just kept going. From the age of 12 to the point now, he's 30 years old and he's starting his ministry. Just as people were drawn to Jesus when he was a young boy, it only continued to increase. And here's the issue what I hear with a lot of adults. You know how many different adults I hear? Man, I wish I had a ministry like that when, when, when I was that age. Well, let me tell you, it probably wasn't this cool. It's the truth. Like in the 70s, 80s, 90s, it probably wasn't as, as cool as we have now. But for that generation, it was probably cool. It's not that they didn't have it. It's that they didn't take advantage of going and being a part of it. They were off running around, doing their own thing, doing their business, not being about their father's business. And I hear so many different adults like, man, if I had just had that. You know what they're saying? They're saying, I wish at the age of 12, I wish at a young age, I had learned to be used by God. Because now they're 50, 60 years old, and they're learning for the, do you realize there was somebody who just gave a testimony a number of weeks ago on a Sunday, guy, I love the dude, big old military dude, he's like, somewhere like this tall, like huge dude, right? Like, I love that he's on my team, because you know, if somebody messed with me, he'll protect me kind of thing, you know what I mean? For the first time in his life this year, he prayed for somebody. You understand this? Went on a missions trip to LA with our team, and he prayed for somebody for the first time in his life. I think if he were to tell you a message, he'd say, start being used at this age by God now because if you keep increasing, if you can say my life has increased, if you can keep saying the increase is coming, what could your life look like when you're guy's age? What, it could look like, what could it look like when you've already been being used? There's never a point in which it gets old or what God has for you runs out. The increase is always coming. There's always more that God has for you. And here Jesus, he stepped into this. So as a boy, he was used. Now people are continuing to draw to him as he's increased as a man. And there's one instance where Jesus, he was teaching the people and it actually turned into a miracle. It's the only miracle recorded by all four gospels. Now you have the Old Testament, the New Testament. The first four books of the New Testament are called the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they're basically four different vantage points of some of the same stories. There was only one miracle that they all recorded. And it's this instance right here that we're going to talk about. Mark talks about it in chapter 6. Let me start at verse 30. He said that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Jesus sent them out. And they started doing awesome stuff for Jesus. They come back, tell them about it. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they're like, they're doing a lot of ministry, that they did not have a chance to eat. Jesus said to them, come on, let's go by ourselves to a quiet place. Let's get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, they recognized and, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So it's like Christian groupies is what it was. It was like, oh, is that Jesus? And they're running ahead, the crowd. Like for, it's the crowd for me. I'd be freaking out. I would be freaking out if I had to be Jesus and the disciples. Everywhere I go, this crowd is coming after me. Like, to, like I think we look at celebrities and we think sometimes, oh, that would be so cool. It would. 
to have a camera shoved in your face everywhere you go, to have paparazzi taking pictures of you everywhere you go, that you need security to go anywhere. Hey, listen, sometimes I just want to be able to go get some wings at B-dubs and I want to come back home. Sometimes I want to be able to just go to the bathroom and well, I think you could do that in your own house. You know what I mean? I don't want people following me everywhere I go. So for Jesus, it's the crowd. The crowd, like, the crowd is kind of like, can be a nuisance at times. And you have to be able to control this in you to say, you know what? Oh, man, people testing me right now. This is wearing me out. But what is Jesus' response? Jesus leans into the Holy Spirit. And it says, when Jesus landed, meaning they, they go away on the boat, the crowd's running around. He sees a huge crowd. What's his response? And he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He didn't even have a chance to get a breath. They had been ministering all day. Have you ever had something where you've just been going hard all day at something, then you got to go the next thing immediately? You know what that is for me? Life. <laughs> I go to work. I, I feel like I gave everything I had, and I walk in the door, and the first thing is, Dada, and he just wants something. He's ready to party. He's still full of energy at six, seven, eight, whenever I get home. He's just got something to give. So what do I need? I gotta still have something to give. And I look at my son and go, hmm. And I have compassion because he's like sheep without a shepherd. And I try to just in some way give whatever I have left to give. This is Jesus. He has compassion on them. He begins to teach them. When, when we talk about this idea of being increased in God, growing and increasing with God, why is it important that you receive the increase? Why is it so important that you receive the increase that God has for your life? Because... If you haven't already received increase, that's a pretty good indicator that you haven't increased. Follow me here. You ready? If you haven't increased, that probably means that you're not increasing. You follow me? If you're not increasing, that means that you're not going to have enough juice in the tank to give to anybody when they need it. So somebody comes to you, hey, would you pray for me right now? Or you see somebody in a broken situation, you go, I should tell them about Jesus right now. You know what you're going to do? You're not going to have anything to give them. So rather than stopping and saying, man, I have increased. I'm increasing. I can, I can talk to this person. I can tell them about who Jesus is. I know that that's what they need. I know they need prayer. I know they need love. I know they need hope. You can't stop and you're not going to go, I will have compassion because you're sheep without a shepherd. You won't do that if you're not increasing. If you've not yet ever received the increase of who Jesus is, you haven't increased at this point. And if you haven't increased, you're not increasing. And if you're not increasing, you have nothing to pour out. What do I mean? Like, very simply, I'd say it this way. People, they won't be in need when it's personally convenient for you. It's not going to be like you come up on a situation and you go, oh, no, someone in trouble. One second. Lord, let me receive your increase. feels good. Okay. Can I help you? Can I, can I meet your need now? It's just not how it's going to work. People are going to come into your life at the most inconvenient time possible. You know, and I, I don't mean this offensively, what I'm about to say, but this is a real thing in, in the work that I do. Do you know when people die? At the most inconvenient time in my life. Like, I did three funerals in a week and a half. Ministry is not convenient. Doing life for Jesus is not convenient. Reaching out to people's needs is not convenient. So if you're thinking, oh, this Jesus thing sounds good. I like what he did in my life. I'd like to give it to somebody else's life. It's going to test you. It's going to burden you. It's going to be the fire and the hammer 
increasing you like a blacksmith. That's how it's going to work. So if you're not increasing with God, that means when an inconvenient moment happens where somebody's saying, I'm in need, you're not going to even respond to it because you have nothing to pour out on them. You're not going to be able to step into their situation. Do you realize if you would receive the increase and if you would be full of who Jesus is, the moment you see a need, it won't be just like, oh, this is it. It'd be like, you know what? This is inconvenient. But listen, it's never going to be convenient. So if I'm waiting for a convenient time to reach somebody, I'm never going to reach anybody. So I'm going to step into this inconvenient situation because every, every situation is going to be inconvenient. So I might as well meet this need right now because I have increased and I have something to give them. This is the moment we're talking about here. If you follow the text of what I'm reading right here in, in Mark chapter 6, do you realize what Jesus just came off of? It wasn't just like a lot of ministry and he was tired and they got on a boat and they're like, Jesus, and they run around. That guy did miracles. Let's see it again. It's, it's a cool show. They ran around. They're waiting for him. And he's like, Whew. and it says he has compassion on that. It wasn't that. Do you realize what happened right before this? If you read the text, we've been talking about in the last number of weeks about this guy named John the Baptist and how he lived this holy life. He did these great things for, for God. You know what just happened right before this? John the Baptist was just beheaded. John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was the one that when Jesus walked up on the scene, starting his ministry, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, said, behold, the Lamb of God, he will take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus in water, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. Jesus comes out like a boss saying, I'm ready to go do ministry. Then he goes in the desert for 40 days. He's tempted by the devil. He fasted, meaning he didn't eat any food. And he's being tempted by the devil, but he's led by the Holy Spirit. And then after 40 days of him saying, like, basically, shoe fly, don't bother me. Devil kept tempting him. And he's just like, listen, get, this ain't going to work. Get off me. Angels come and attend to him. Then he goes and he starts his ministry. This is the John the Baptist that was just beheaded. Jesus finds out the news that John the Baptist is beheaded right before this moment. So now picture this. Someone in your life dies. Something happens tragic in your life. And then everybody wants you. And then everybody's pulling on you. And then everyone's in need. It will never be convenient to show people Jesus. If it wasn't convenient for him, why should we think it will be convenient for us? So here he finds out this troubling news. They come up. He has compassion on them. and He's pouring out. I mean, everything's going good for these people. It's like they're getting the love of Jesus. They're getting the teaching of Jesus. It's like, wow, this is awesome. He's given everything. So even in the midst of his emotional emptiness. You ever felt that? Just like you're emotionally empty, but you got to just keep going. Here's Jesus like, man, how I feel. I don't... He doesn't have time to even process his feelings because he's continuing to pour out. But everything's going good for everybody. They're like, man, we get to hear with Jesus and he's pouring out. And then like any good movie, while everything's going good, there's always a problem that arises, right? There's always something, or I guess real life as well. I always, I could refer to real life, but I talk about movies instead because movies are not real. That's probably why <laughs> real life is real. <laughs> um, the problem happens. What is the problem? Well, I would like to say probably Jesus is long-winded. That's part of it. He's been talking for a while. But let's read it. Matthew 14. This is another vantage point. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. I mean, like we're in a desert. Like there's nothing else around here. It's getting late, Jesus. You need to send the crowds away so they, so they can go to the villages, like their own villages, and buy themselves some food. That's the problem. They've been out there for a long time, and Jesus has been preaching. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. He looked at the disciples and said, you give them something to eat. He said, listen, 
I've been out here doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm feeding them spiritually right now. You go feed them physically. You give them something to eat. Luke puts it in perspective in Luke 9, verse 14. It says there's about 5,000 men that were there. That's the undertaking that Jesus is telling them. So imagine here, I don't know how many people are in this room, but I'm going to tell you, we are not even close to 5,000. So I want you to imagine 5,000 people in this room. I don't know if we could fit 5,000 people even standing room only in this room. And I've been preaching for a long time, which is normal, that happens. And y'all are getting hungry. And you're getting real hungry. And finally, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, I know you're like doing your thing preaching right now, but you noticing like these people starting to get hungry right here. Like I'm hearing their stomachs audibly growling. You ever been sitting next to somebody, you can hear their stomach growl, and you're like, I didn't hear it, listening about Jesus. But then you heard their stomach growl, and now you're like, crap, I'm hungry too. <laughs> you didn't realize you're hungry until you knew they were hungry. You ever had that? They're all getting tired, and Jesus is like, listen, feed them. You give them something to eat. 5,000, let me clarify. Luke says 5,000 men. Matthew clarifies this later. He says about 5,000 men, and that, he's saying that doesn't include women, children. Let's do simple math here. So 5,000 men, I could be way off, but let me just give like a, a low ballpark of how many people could have been there. If it's 5,000 men, males, okay? Let's just say 50% of them are married, which is low compared to that culture. Let's say 50% is married, so add a wife. That's now add 2,500. Help me with my math. I'm going to do it quick, so we're going to need help. So 7,500 people. And let's just say two children per family. This is very low for this culture, okay? Like two children per family, that adds, what, what another 5,000? 5, so let's just say low ballpark is 12,000, 500 people. You with me? Let's just round up 13,000. Makes it simple for us. We don't want to deal with 0.5s. Okay, so 13,000 people. I would guess probably closer to 15, 20,000, according to the culture. They having some babies in that culture, okay? So let's say 13,000 people, Jesus is like, yeah, you feed them. And they're sitting there like, with what? Like, what do you, what do you, am I supposed to just magic trick and like the food appears like what do you what do you want me to feed them with Jesus in that verse Matthew 14 16 you give them something to eat and they're right away questioning like that's not possible but see what Jesus is trying to teach them is a very powerful principle that we're going to we're going to dive into we have to learn tonight when we talk about the increase what are we really talking about see the disciples were focused more on what they did not have than what they did have how many times can you say this in your life you spend more time talking about, thinking about the things that you don't have than the things that you do have. The things that you want to have than the, than the thing that's, things that you already have. I think about this. There's a guy in the Bible by the name of Moses in the Old Testament. He was like a uh, very amazing prophet, leader, man of God, very holy dude, like incredible guy in the Bible. And there was this instance where there was this literal burning bush where this bush burned but it never actually burned up. It just stayed burning continuously. And God speaks to Moses from this burning bush, and the thing he wants him to know is, listen, I'm God, and I got a mission for you. I want you to set my people free, the Israelites. So you're gonna go to, you're gonna go to Egypt. They've been in slavery for a really long time. 
and you're going to set them free. And Moses is like, okay. You know, it's like, I don't, can I do this? Like, at first he's kind of like, I don't, and God's like, you're going to go. I'm going to send your brother Aaron, because Moses had a stuttering problem, and he's all nervous. I'm going to send your brother Aaron, you're going to do this, and you're going to be used. God's like, okay, I know I've experienced you. This is amazing. But you know what, what's interesting? He wasn't scared of this moment. He was scared of what people were going to think of him when he tried to tell them about this moment. You ever had those moments? Man, I encountered God crazy. I don't even know how to tell people what happened this weekend. I'm tr- I don't even know how to explain We Are One Conference to anybody. I don't even know how to explain last Wednesday to anybody. And he's like, what do I do if I go to try to tell them about what happened and they don't believe me? Like, I don't know if they're going to believe me. What do I do? So God says in Exodus 4, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? Doesn't seem like a very important question. So Moses is like, uh, a staff, he replied. So God said, I want you to take this staff, what's in your hand, and I want you to throw it down. And when you throw it down, it's going to become a snake. So he did. He throws it down and becomes a snake. The Bible says that Moses ran away, freaked out. Can you imagine? What is that in your hand? A microphone. And you throw it down, and it freaking becomes like an iguana that starts going around the floor or something like that. Can you imagine that? What is that in your hand? A candy bar. You throw it down, it turns into like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Or I couldn't think of anything else. Like, what's a, like, what's a raptor called? The full name. I was trying to think of a cool name. Velociraptor. That's what I was trying to think of. It turns into Velociraptor. That's what was in my mind. I don't know why a Velociraptor was in my mind, but it was. Jurassic Park fans? Anyone? Okay. Am I too old? Yes. There's two in the back? Okay. I love like one guy like... Okay. They're a little cheesy, but my childhood. Okay. He goes, what is in your hand? A staff. He throws it down. It turns into a snake. He said, when you go to the people... And you tell them what just happened, and they don't believe you. You take what's in your hand, and you throw it down, and you show them that I got your back, that my power is running through you, and I'm using you. Do you realize from what was in Moses' hand, he lifted that up, and he parted the seas? From what was in Moses' hand, he touched the water, and it turned to blood for the Egyptians? Do you realize simply from that staff that Moses carried in his hand, miracle after miracle after miracle happened? My question to you is very simple. It's not what isn't in your hand. It's what is in your hand. Because God is not interested in what you don't have because that can't be used for his glory. He's interested in what you do have because only that can be used. And the issue, the troubling issue, is that we spend most of our time wishing something else was in our hands. Wishing we had a different personality, wishing we had different skill sets, wishing we could do this or do that. I was talking to leaders downstairs and, I was like, maybe some of you ever thought, man, if I was just a leader that could sing, I just feel like if I knew how to sing, God could really use me. And the issue is this. If everyone on my leadership team could sing, who's going to lead worship? Everyone wants to do it all the time. Some people are made to lead worship. Some people, as we have these amazing, pretty good, running cameras. Some people run. Can we give a hand for all of our stream team that makes this happen? They're back there behind, behind a door. You can't even see them. But some people are really good with tech, and they're really great with, like, having, like, creative eyes. And if we all were the same, there's no need for all of us because we each need to be different to bring what we have to the table. And the issue is 
What you talk to God about is what you don't have rather than saying, God, this is what I do have. Can you use it? God, I know it just looks like a staff in my hand, but could you use that? And I think God is speaking so much to our intention right now because this is what was happening with, with this feeding of the 5,000, it's labeled, 5,000 plus, we'll call it. It's like the disciples couldn't understand this principle of what I know it, it appeared that there wasn't much, but God can do a whole lot with a little. And so in John chapter 6, it says that another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up and he's like, uh, it, it ain't much, but here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? He's saying, you know, Jesus, while you were preaching, I was out there and I was among the people and I was looking around and I was like, I swear I saw I swear I saw a kid with a Lunchable. I swear I saw a kid with some food. Where was, where was he? I was looking. Yeah, was, was it you? Yeah, it was you. What, you got that, right? Did, I thought, yeah, hold on. I mean, give me some of that, bro. What do you got? You got a full sack lunch back here? Something? We hungry. Hey, can you, uh, can you bring it? Can, I, can we share it? Oh, thanks. Come on, bro. Give a hand for my little boy. Yeah. Hey, so you ain't, you're not a little boy. Just the title of the guy in the scripture is little boy, okay? So, Pop, what are you holding out on us here? What do you got here? Okay. You got some bread? Okay, that's one, two. What we got here? Three. You about to make PB&J? What are you doing here? You got some bread? What do we have here? And you got fish as well? Bro, you rolling up to church ready to go. This is the first time he's seen these fish. He didn't know that this was going to happen. <laughs> and that looks good. Have you ever eaten a goldfish? It's good. It's tasty. Someone over here in the front row, like, yes, I have, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. So what does the Bible say? It says that Jesus took the, these five loaves from this little boy. The disciples brought it to him. They're like, hey, this ain't much. It's this little boy's lunch. Like, and then the Bible says in, in Mark 6, verse 39 to 41, then Jesus directed them all, all the people, to sit down in groups. Okay, so let's just, everybody stand up really quick. Stand up with me here. And I want you to turn and, like, make your little group here. We're going to see the miracle happen in the room. Okay, ready? Like, turn to some people, and that's your group. Okay, now you can sit back down. That's your group. You're going to turn to them. That's like your little group. Like, some of you are all, like, introducing yourselves to each other. Like, crap, I better, uh, I better talk to someone new at church. That's a, new, that's a new philosophy. Welcome someone to church. Okay, so you got your little group, your little squad. And, and Jesus then took the, the loaves and the fish and so the people sat, he sat them down in groups of hundreds and groups of fifties. And taking the five loaves, let me just, here it is. Here, can you like open one for me? You got them all like packaged nice and everything, bro. This is like, you're the real deal, little boy. Great. Okay. And so Jesus took the bread and it says that he took taking the five. Here, hold up a fish for me. 
taking the five loaves and the two fish, he held it up to heaven. He held it up to heaven, and then it says, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. There it is. Okay. Dang it, I might have messed up the miracle. I don't think we were supposed to eat it. Don't do it either. That was my mistake. Okay. He broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. So he divided the fish, the loaves, and he just started distributing them to the people. Here you go. Sorry, that's the butt. No one likes the butt, but okay. Right there, you hungry? They need some more. Little boy, they need more. We want bread. We're hungry. Oh. Okay. Hoi. Hoi. This is better than free t-shirts. Hey, who wants some bread? <laughs> okay. So then they distributed it. They distributed it to the people. And the Bible says it just kept it just kept growing. Like, start with five loaves, two fish. We didn't throw out the fish. We better keep the fish right here. Yeah. <laughs> and it says that more and more and more people just kept eating as it was distributed. I see chunks of bread leaving my mouth as I'm talking. So it's usually the front row is usually the spit zone. This is the bread zone now, okay? You did a good job, little boy. Give a hand for my little boy. Okay. You know what I love about this moment? So many things. Bread frisbees in church. There's so many good things about this moment. But what I think is so cool about what Jesus did here is something that I think we can really easily look past. Jesus taught all of these people at once the principle of thankfulness. Now listen. What we do is we get thankful when something monumental happens in our life. And we go, God, thank you for this job, right? God, thank you for my marriage. If you're really a Christian, God, thank you for my kids. <laughs> and if you're not, you ain't going to say that. Uh, God, thank you um, for, like, this, this, this new church I found or this raise I got. You get my point. Like, when something big happens in your life, you'll be thankful, but it's all the little things along the way that God's doing, you're not even recognizing with your thankfulness, his faithfulness. What about, God, thank you that there's breath in my lungs today. Because see, what's my point? This was not a big thing. This was five loaves, two fish. And let's just say ballparking the number small, 13,000 people to feed with. It doesn't happen. But it's at the point where we say, God, I'm thankful for the small things. It's at that point that he's faithful to do big things with small things. And so many times we look at what's in our hand, and it's just the staff. It's just something seems so menial, seems so unimportant. And you don't say, God, thank you that I just am good talking to people. Because see, what you want to say is, hey, God, could you teach me how to sing? Could you teach me how to play the guitar? Uh, could you teach me how to build a robot? I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. Like, God, could you teach? We want to do all these other things rather than saying, God, thank you for allowing me to just be good with my money. I don't, like, spend it frivolously. I, like, I save my money. 
God, thank you for my church because I don't know where I'd be without it. How often have you thanked God? Not for this place, for this people. How often have you thanked God for some of the people around you? But see, what we're doing is we're waiting for these big, monumental moments to thank God for doing something. And you know what he's looking to see us do? Thank him for the small goldfish things. He's wanting to see you go, you know what? God, thank you. I know that this looks small. I know that I'm really not much. I know that I'm not that talented or I don't maybe seem that special in the grand scheme of eight billion people in the world. But God, I do know that I have a purpose and you could use me. And God, I'm thankful that you created me. (sighs) Thank you. Jesus is teaching this huge principle here. Huge principle to be thankful about small things. John continues in verse six. And it says that when they had all eaten enough, I mean, they were able to stuff their faces. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Uh, Both Mark and Luke, they write that the people were satisfied. Like, satisfied is like, ooh, that was good. They might like sushi in the room. Just want, I love sushi. Yeah, like you finish like, it's kind of like you're eating with somebody, you're going to eat that? You know what I mean? And it says they just, they ate till they were satisfied. They, they, they just could keep eating. They were good. They were stuffed. They were full. And then there was leftovers. Can I tell you, when we talk about God doing an increase in your life, he will do it to the point that it overflows and there will be leftovers for other people. And what I love about this passage, what I love about this passage is that they, they all ate to their heart's content, and there were 12 baskets left over. You know how many disciples there were? 12. So they all took one home and ate it for themselves. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say. You know what my guess is? My guess was they stood in the midst of a miracle. They stood in the midst of the increase of God, and they had leftovers and overflow. Because Jesus and the disciples, they ate too. Because the, the whole passage starts off that they didn't get to eat. They are starving, so they're trying to get away from people. They didn't eat them for a while. So they ate, they felt good, and they didn't take leftovers home for themselves. When there is an overflow of what God does in your life, it's no longer for you once it's overflowing. He's already filled you. Once you are full, the overflow is for others. You know what I think they did? Bible doesn't say. But I think they went on like a, a little like journey. Here's some leftovers for you. Here's some leftovers for you. They went to some people that were hurting maybe, gave it away in the city along their, along their journey. Because Jesus even indicated that they had nowhere to stay and they had no food to guarantee. He said, come follow me. Let's go on a journey. We'll figure it out along the way. So they didn't hoard up for themselves. And I think we're living in a a culture right now of Christianity that you hoard up because you're scared that there won't be anything for you the next day. Jesus always has more for you. When you give freely, he gives more freely to you. When he does something monumental in your life and there's an overflow, and which, let me tell you, Jesus never fills people up halfway. That's why it's called the fullness, the filling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you are submerged in who Jesus is, at the point where you receive Jesus, at the point in which you receive salvation, guys, you're already overflowing. All that you gotta do is just bump somebody and they're gonna get some of what Jesus did just in your life. 
you got to have one conversation. They're going to get some of it. If I were to ask in the room, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many you've just been recently invited to this ministry? Guys, I'm looking out, and I can't even keep up with all the names that are coming here because there's people that are just getting the overflow of what God did in here the week before. Next thing I know, I look out the next week. I'm like, never seen you, never seen you, never seen you. i got to meet you. i got to meet you. i got to meet you. And I just think here we have to understand this principle that God has something special that he wants us to pour out on others and not just hoard it to ourselves and take it home. The difference between sloppy seconds and leftovers is what you do with it. Leftovers, share it. Sloppy seconds, it's when you heat it in the microwave. When it's done, it's all mushy. You ever had that piece of pizza? It's like a week old in the fridge, and then you put it in there. That's sloppy seconds. That grellis. But hey, a pizza that's still in the box, still kind of warm. You can only eat like, let's just say like six pieces. Okay, seven pieces. I don't be lying in church. Three pieces left. Hey, bro, want some za? That's different, isn't it? I think it becomes sloppy and nasty when we hold it to ourselves. The Bible talks about where your treasure is, your heart it will be. The Bible says you don't want to be keeping your treasure here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where it gets all slimy and nasty when you pull out the microwave. God's saying, what I did in you, I want it to overflow, and it wasn't just left over. He said, I want nothing wasted. I want it used for somebody else. If there's a point in which you're coming here and you're not, and if you stop thinking at any point, man, God wants to do this in some people I know, that means that we're no longer on mission. It means we become so content with simply only what he can do in us that we forget in the call that he's put on our life as believers to see what he can do in other people's life. Have you ever been asked this question? I did for the first time. Why did Jesus feed the 5,000 plus? Why'd he even do it? Like, think about it. He could have just done what we did at conference. He could have just, like, taught for a while, had compassion, taught, and then at a decent time, let them all go home and eat. You know, at conference, we strategically set up the time so that on Saturday, it gets done right before dinner. So then everybody can leave here, and we don't have to feed them. Because if we have to feed them, then it costs more to come to conference. So we're trying to cut the cost. We're like, Saturday, we've already fed you. We already did this stuff, right? Now you can leave. Why didn't he do that? Why did he intentionally keep them there so he could feed them? Now I'm about to give you three, three reasons why I think Jesus fed the 5,000 plus. Number one, about to blow your mind. Are you ready? He knew they were hungry. That's number one. Oh, Wow can feel the heat of the holy Celsius coming off of that. I had Celsius right before I got out here, so I'm a little jittery right now. He fed them because he knew they were hungry. What do you, why, why is that important? What do you mean? He knew that just like him and the apostles were running and gunning, they probably didn't stop and eat. You ever, you ever had it where you're just like starving and you have to stay focused on something, but all that you're thinking about is how hungry you are? You ever had that? Like, your stomach doesn't have to growl. That's been me, actually, this whole sermon. I don't even know how I've preached this thing. I'm so hungry. I ate a chicken wrap and a smoothie for lunch. It was great. Thank you, Sid. You did a great job. But about 5 o'clock, I was like, I'm hungry for something fierce right now. Like, I'm starving. And throughout this sermon, I simultaneously have been thinking about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Celsius because I put that in my body to just try to keep me going because I was so hungry. You ever had this, though? It's real. You got to take a test 
could be like you're in an important conversation. I don't know, counseling or something. You go like to a counselor and you're just like, I'm so hungry. You're like, hey, so what's going on in your life? Hunger. You know what I mean? And then the, the, the being hungry turns to hangry. You know what I mean? How many hangry people in the room? One person was just like, <laughs> that person trying to make sure they still can find a spouse. That's what they're doing right there. I don't want people to know. So Jesus, he knew that they were hungry. You know what he's trying to do? He's bringing a connection here to say, I don't just feed you spiritually. I want to make sure that you understand that there's a connection between when I feed you spiritually and when I feed you physically. I don't just feed you with bread, but actually Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. He says, I feed you with the word of God. So you won't just be having your hunger fulfilled here on planet Earth, but there's a hunger and a desire for me and for my word I'm putting in you. So one day when you're with me in heaven, you will not have to hunger because you will, just like that bread and fish, you will understand what it's like to be filled and satisfied with who I am. Number one, simple, but I thought it was good. Number two, he wanted to teach them the principle of thankfulness. We've been talking about this idea of being thankful. And I just think it's something that so lacks in this generation. Everybody look at me for one second. I know some of y'all taking notes and stuff. Write it down in a second. Principle of thankfulness, that was the thought. Look at me. It's important. If, if your parents, if a coach, if a pastor, if anybody takes you out and like buys you lunch or anything like that, do you know how you end that encounter together? Thank you so much for buying me this. That seems simple, but do you know how many people I take out for things and they don't, don't say thankful, thank you afterwards? And do you know what my response is? Well, I ain't taking them out again. I'm saying my human thinking, that is the truth. Like, I'm 33 years old. Every single time that we go to my parents for dinner, every time they take me out for lunch, anything, I say thank you afterwards. Thank you so much for making this meal, Mom and Dad. Thank you so much for paying for my meal. I know I'm a grown man. I'm 33 years old. I have my own money. I could pay for this. But I ordered something extra expensive because I knew you were praying, paying for this, so thank you. Come on, somebody. How good's your lemonade? Come on, somebody. Just the principle of being thankful, it unlocks being able to understand and see God being faithful. You will not honestly be able to comprehend how faithful he is until you start being a little more thankful. And the issue right now is, listen, there's a whole generation I'm seeing. I'm not trying to peg just you guys. I actually think overall we're decent people. But we have a lack of honor. We have a lack of thankfulness. We have a lack of appreciation. Honor people. Thank people. Like, like listen, let me just say this to the young men. You should be opening the doors for young ladies. And young ladies, when you go through the door, you should be like, you should be stopping and saying, hey, thank you. That, I appreciate that. That means a lot. So we're going to test it when I end this sermon tonight. Young men, if you're walking in front of a young lady, you should stop. You should intentionally run in front of them. They're like, what do they do? Trying to cut the line? We ain't even getting food right now. What are they doing right now? And you should get in front of them so you can open the door. Give them one of these as they come through. <laughs> open the door for them, and when they walk through, listen, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't be like, oh my, you want my number? Like, don't make a big thing. <laughs> Just walk through the door and say, hey, thanks. There's a lack of us showing each other thankfulness and respect and honor. There's a lack of us doing it with our, um, with our leadership, with our authorities, with the elderly, whatever it is. 
if you will start living a life of thankfulness, your mind will be blown at how faithful God has been to you, at how much he's done in your life. This might seem simple. You know what Jesus was teaching them? He was saying, listen, Lord, thank you for this. Thank you. See, he already knew that there was me fish and loaves provided. You, you want to realize that this, half the time when you're being thankful, it's not even for you. It's for somebody else to learn from you. Jesus was thankful, but you know why he did it in front of everybody? To exemplify to everybody else how to be thankful to the Father. So he lifts it. He says, thank you. He breaks it. And then here it is, 5,000 plus people are eating all this delicious goldfish and 89-cent good-to-dough bread. That's some good stuff right there. Number three, it's simple, but I think, I think for me, the biggest reason that Jesus fed all these people when he could have just sent them home was because he wanted to show people the genesis of a miracle. He wanted to show people how a miracle, how a miracle starts. So Jesus performs this amazing miracle, and everybody's eyes are on Jesus. Wow! He just took the five loaves and two fish. He's feeding. Whoa, where's all this coming from right now? Sheesh. They're freaking out. They are. They're like, can you imagine eating that food? Like, is this like uh, FDA approved? Or is FDA for the flights or for food? Food. What's for the flights? Too many acronyms. Leave it out. Keep it to yourself. Don't need it. FDA. That's all you know. Okay. <laughs> CDC approved. Is that a thing? Yeah. Non-COVID approved. There it is. Okay. So the food just keeps showing up. And you know what they're all doing? They're going, they're looking at Jesus. And Jesus is the miracle worker. But can I tell you, that wasn't the genesis of the miracle. That wasn't the beginning of the miracle. That's not where the miracle originated. Do you realize Jesus could have gone like this and he could have gone, bread and fish, voila. And he could have done it again over here for you guys. Bread and fish. I got you. I, I, you didn't even, it's not even real. How real did that see? Like you could like set, see it while I was doing it. PT, come here, come here. This is what I love doing to my son. Come, come, come. Go like this, I just go, bread and fish. You ever do that? Pull something out of a kid's ear. I love doing that. I take a little ball, and I go like this, and I go, you had a ball in your ear. And he's like, oh, my gosh. He's like freaking out. <laughs> Bread and fish. He could have done a magic trick. You realize? He could have just created it all on his own. He already created the bread and the fish. The seed that went in the ground to create the wheat, to create the bread, he already created the fish. He already had done that. So he could have done it right there. What was the genesis of the miracle? The genesis of, a mir of the miracle was a little boy that said, I know I doesn't look like I have very much, but what I have, Jesus, you can use it. The genesis of a miracle is not some big monumental thing that we see. Oh my gosh, that person was dead and now they're alive. Oh my word, they couldn't walk and now they can walk. The genesis of this miracle was a little boy who had faith. Why are you labeling him giving his food as faith? Uh, because he was hungry and he had food and he brought it for himself because he wanted to eat. Somebody walking up to me, if I'm 12 years old and asking for my Lunchable, I'm like, no, this is my favorite one. Did, did you all have Lunchables or is that in my tool? That's a reference, okay. They still make Lunchables? The genesis of this miracle was this little boy that goes, he could have gone, I'm sorry, <laughs> this is mine. 
But he, he had faith to say, I will find a way to be fed. Right now, Jesus is asking for what I have. And the issue today is we're looking for these big monumental moments that are like, that's a miracle. No, a miracle is when you say, I just have a little bit, but God, what I do have, you can use it. There is such a scarcity mindset that I see in this generation and I see in previous generations. All that you see is what you don't have. And you need to look at your hands and see what you do have. All that you see is what you lack, although you believe that. Because David said that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He said, I shall not want. I've been satisfied. I'm full. There's leftovers. And all that you see is what you don't have. And all that you see is, oh, God, I'm, I'm so empty. Could you just fill my emotions up? People say, God, if if you could just give me this, if you could just do this, then maybe I'd be happy, God. And we're praying all these fluff prayers that have no meaning or no, like they have no substance. And we're asking for things that we don't need to ask for and that we don't need. And what we should be praying is, God, what I do have, would you use it? Not God, I don't have this, could you give it to me? And our issue is that we're spending all of our time pitying ourselves about what we don't have rather than praising God with what we do have. And we're spending all this time just go, oh, woe is me. I, don't, I'm, I was raised in this hard family. Woe is me. I don't make a lot of money at my job. Well, and you're pitying yourself rather, rather than you could say, Lord, I know my family, it's just loaves and fish. I know my job is just loaves and fish. I know my skill sets are just loaves and fish. I know I'm not as smart as other people. I know I'm not as skilled as other people. I know it's just loaves and fish. But God, I'm not going to pity myself when I could be praising you. So it just looks like a staff in my hand. But with this staff, I'm going to parch some waters. Come on, somebody. With this staff, I'm going to see miracles happen. With this staff, I'm going to give God praise. And you're looking at all these people like, oh, I wish I was that talented. Stop pitying yourself. Start praising God with what you have. Start praising God that he's faithful and he does all things right. I was, uh, I was, preaching, I was preaching this first message, the increase is coming. And I felt like this was such a prophetic word that God gave me. And I was preaching this message and if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, you can go watch the rest of it, it's good. But here's the ending where literally I had this tent and I was like, the increase is coming. We're expanding our tent and all these things. And at some point, we flipped the tent and the two uh, lines that went across it created this X. And literally, as I'm preaching, I see that. And I thought, X, 10 years, so cool. X, like we're marked by God. And then it hit me. I saw this and I go, what is X in mathematics? Huh. I'm preaching, I'm preaching one message and I have to save this other word that God gave me and I buried it down. I've held it for like five months. X in mathematics is multiplication. Like my mind was blown. Like I'm, I'm on stage in January preaching this. I go, X is not just the Roman numeral 10. X is multiplication. And you know what hit me? Jesus is not a God who just wants to add to your life. He wants to multiply what's already in your hand. And it hit me. We've been putting all the responsibility on God. The increase is coming. God, give it to me. No, the responsibility is on you. He's saying, are you going to use what I've already given you? 
You know what we're doing? We're asking him to give us more, and we're not even being faithful with already what he's given us already. God, just if you would just give me this talent, or God, if you would just move my life, or God, if you would just give me a girlfriend. <laughs> I, I love people ask that all the time. God, give me a girlfriend. You think God's going to give you a girlfriend? You think he wants to multiply you? <laughs> you need to first figure out you before you multiply and you got a little whoever running around. Like, we have to take some responsibility on ourselves to receive the increase, to be increased, and to continually be increasing. And God spoke this so, so strong to me that if you're a believer in Jesus, then you've been marked by multiplication. This journey with Jesus is not a journey of addition. Our mission is not addition. Our mission is multiplication. And you look at this. God speaks to Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply. He speaks to Abraham. He says, I'm going to multiply your offspring as numerous as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. When Jesus taught us how to forgive, what did he say? Forgive a lot? No, he said forgive 70 times 7. Multiplication. In Acts chapter 12, it says that the word of God grew and multiplied. This journey with Jesus is a constant journey of just growing and multiplying, growing and multiplying. That's the increase. You know, when I was uh, four years old, I might not have said it this way, but now I can bring clarity to what I said. When I was four years old, I said, Lord, here I am. I'm not much, but would you use me? Would you use my life? And I gave my life to Jesus at four years old. When I was 16, and I was called to youth ministry. I said, Lord, I know that this ministry of mine is not much, but would you use me? When I was 26, and I was literally standing right here on this stage, on this side actually, and I was holding my wife's hands. And I said, right now we don't know anything. We're about to figure it all out the hard way. It's called just get married. I know this marriage is not much, but will you use it? When I was 31 and Zealand was born, 33 when Zion was born, I said, Lord, I know my family's not much, but would you use them? Would you allow my sons to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man? Can I tell you, over the last 29 years since I said yes to Jesus, my life has been nothing but increase, nothing but multiplication. Because he took my life, and how many people might say that they might be in this room because how my life impacted somebody? How many people would say they're in this room because of how your life was able to impact somebody? Literally, I get married, it's actual multiplication. Five years later, here's Zealand. Two years later, here's Zion. You have to be willing to say, God, I know that what I have isn't that much, but I know if you can get a hold of it, you can multiply it to use it for your glory. Stop telling yourself what you can't do. Stop telling yourself what you're not capable of. Stop telling yourself, well, look what they, stop looking to everybody else. Look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know it's not much, but would you multiply this? I know it's just like some 89 cent good to dough and rich. Why, why'd you guys get white bread? At least get wheat. That's healthier for you. I know this is not much. 
Although when I threw it out in the crowd, some of y'all were scarfing down like you haven't eaten in days. You following me? Can we just come to God humbly tonight and say, God, I know I'm not much, but would you use me? Our mission is not addition. Our mission is multiplication. We are called to go into all the world and see people come to know Jesus, disciples be multiplied. Our mission will be the same until I die. You know what's interesting is the model is gonna continually look different. The way we go about it, you know, it'd be interesting because one day we might not have like lights and all that and maybe church will go back to like a stained glass window look one day, who knows? Maybe church won't be in a building like this. Maybe it'll be like in people's basements underground because we can't do this freely. The model in which we will constantly reach people is always gonna change. But our mission will always remain the same. Our mission is multiplication. I love how one pastor said it. He said, it's okay to get out of the box. Just don't get out of the book. Our mission will always be founded upon the word of Jesus. Because Acts chapter 12 said that that word, it grows and it multiplies. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? What I've preached, not my words, but these are the words of Jesus. They want to grow and multiply in your life tonight. They want to grow and multiply in your heart tonight. And some of you, I'm looking at your faces and I, I don't know your face. I, I don't know your name yet. I haven't met you. So I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your needs are. But see, Jesus knows. He knows if you're hungry. He knows if you're wanting. He knows if you're struggling. He just does. He does. Even, even if I don't, he does. So I just want to ask you tonight, are you working simply only to try to add things to your own life? Are you looking to try to have Jesus multiply the amazing life that he's already given you? What you have is all you need. You're already a child of God. You're already created in his image. All that you need to do tonight is receive Jesus in your heart and soul and say, Jesus, would you multiply? Would you increase? Would you do in me what you have for my life? Would you use me, Jesus? So if tonight you want to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you've never put your full trust and confidence and hope in him. I just want to ask you to raise your hand with me right now, indicating as I'm doing it already, that I need Jesus. I need to give my life to him. No one's looking around. It's just a moment. I see you. Thank you in the back. I see you. It's just a moment for you. A moment for you and Jesus just to connect for a moment while like the heads are bowed and everybody's just focused. Don't allow your own pride, don't allow your own thinking to get in the way. Just say, Jesus, I, I know I'm not much, but if you'll take me, I want you. Thank you guys so much for those hands. Thank you. Would you do this? Would you stand to your feet? I'm going to close this way as we pray. We're going to pray for those that just want to receive Jesus, but I think as a simple sign of surrender tonight, what I want you to do after I pray is I want you to just come forward 
stand, because when we kneel and stuff, we take all this space. I want you to just come, stand. I want you to put your hands out in front of you in a second. And you can even do it right now as we pray. Put your hands in front of you. In Hebrew, when we praise, this is giving something to God. And this is receiving what he has for you. It's his plan, his ways. It's saying he's the blacksmith and he's going to heat us up and pound us if he has to. But we are increased only when he has our lives. And as we pray this prayer together, I want you to come here to the altar and the team's just going to lead us here in a short part of the song. I want you to say, Jesus, I know I'm not much, but what is in my hands? Who I am, what I have to give. Fish and loaves, it's yours. So let's pray that together and then we'll respond individually. Say, Jesus, I know I'm not much, but what I have, it belongs to you. Thank you for taking the cross, for dying for my sins, and coming into my life. I now give my life, all of it, the good and the bad, my weaknesses and strengths. I give it all to you. I know it's just loaves and fish, but if you can use it, which I know you can, then would you multiply it for your glory? Say, Jesus, use me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen.